I can't do it. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Right. Fucking thing sucks. In five, four, three. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Peddling Fiction Podcast. I am your host, the voice and soul, some some of my voice, all of my soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. And back with me, a day late and a dollar short, is Justin Hillbilly Boy Campbell. What's happening, man? You, you know, that, that ended up working out in our in our favor, though, uh, me sleeping. I, I don't – usually I set an alarm, and then I guess yesterday I forgot to set an alarm before I laid down. And usually it doesn't matter. I wake up like an hour before my alarm goes off anyway, and then I just kind of stare at my phone waiting for it. And that did not happen at all yesterday. I like by the time I woke up, I had to like put on clothes and scarf down some food and get ready to go to work. It was, uh, oops. Yeah, yeah. You just needed it. That's fine. And honestly, I mean, as you can kind of probably hear, my voice is uh, still not a hundred percent. I don't know what's going. Like I feel absolutely fine. I just sound a lot like uh, Bobby Kennedy or something. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like I'm dying, but I assure you, I am not. But yeah, yesterday it was even worse than it was today. And uh, this past weekend, it was pretty bad. So uh, the extra day kind of worked out. I also took a nap like six o'clock last night. I just like passed out for a couple hours. I woke up at like eight and I'm like, ah, great. Now I'm going to be up all night. <laughs> I went to the gym at like 930. Um, and then, yeah, I probably didn't fall asleep until like two. And it was pr- basically because of that nap. So you know this is what it is <laughs> yeah that's a little late today for a nap I, I i like to get a good nap but i like mine to be about like around around 1 o'clock for about about 30 45 minutes like that's about right yeah i yeah, have I found that if i don't get that nap like on on the days that i don't work if i don't get that nap sometime in the mid-afternoon i'm like dragging ass by 7 30 i'm just like fighting to keep my eyes open i'm I must be getting old or some shit. A little too late into the day without getting my afternoon nap. And then I just crashed for like a couple hours. I woke up and I was like, ah, oh, fuck, man. I, I got to go to the gym. Should I just call it a night? Maybe I should just stay in bed kind of thing. But it was like 8 o'clock. So I was like, ah, oh, fuck, man. Let me get my shit together. And But yeah, it, it turned out to uh, really fuck my schedule up. So trying to trying to recover from that. But, you know. It is what it is. The show must go on. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. I don't know what we should start with. I, like I said in uh, in our private chat on 
on Twitter X like waiting a day ended up working to our benefit because we get the headliner story of Nikki Haley losing to literally no one. <laughs> yeah. None of the above. <laughs> like the, the meme has now become reality once again, where it's just like vote. Nobody, <laughs> nobody cares about your feelings. <laughs> this Nikki is Haley hilarious, dude. I thought this was fake at first. Yeah. Uh, nobody. Sorry, yeah, Nikki Haley just lost a GOP primary to nobody by more than 20,000 votes. She she got doubled up by none of these candidates. <laughs> in And so uh, Trump was not on the ballot in uh, Nevada, not because of any like bullshit by their secretary of state or, or anything like that, but because Nevada's primary doesn't decide who gets the delegates at the at the RNC when they're picking the when they're picking the candidate? So it's kind of a like the only purpose of the Nevada primaries is for um, specifically for like local and state level elections. It it doesn't matter as far as the who's going to run for president goes. So there was no point to be on the ballot. There was no point for Trump to spend any time campaigning in Nevada. So he didn't. And, and he didn't have his name on the ballot at all. And, and this is, this is a really interesting, uh, it's a really interesting tale. Like what you saw in Iowa and New Hampshire, where they have open primaries, Nevada does not have an open primary. Like you have to have been registered as a Republican beforehand to, be eligible to vote in the primary. Uh, so it, it prevents, it prevents the stuff that you saw in Iowa and New Hampshire, where a whole bunch of Democrats show up of say a Republican primary and then vote for Nikki Haley. You don't get that. So, so what you ended up getting was the actual Republicans in New, or in Nevada showing up in mass to vote for nobody. Like you, you don't, it's not like if you don't vote, it counts as a vote for nobody. Like you have to deliberately vote for nobody. You have to deliberately pick none of the above. And that's what they did. They, like It's great. Yeah, it's, it's classic. I didn't even know. So, I mean, I haven't voted in like 20 years. So over 20 years. I voted once when I was 18 and never again. Uh, do they have, so do a lot of ballots have that option? None of the above. Or is that like uniquely Nevada, as far as you know? I think it's a, I think it's uniquely a uh, primary thing. Like, okay, it's it's kind of a way to because it, because you're just voting in the primary, you're just voting for the people in the party that you're voting for, right? So it's a way to tell the party, like, no, we don't want any of these people. Like, you have to go back and pick somebody else to run for this position. Uh, the gotcha. libertarians yeah, do it. Li okay. Libertarians do it in the way they run their state conventions and stuff. It's like basically it's it's a way of saying uh, none of these candidates are acceptable. Pick somebody else. Like try again, and then it'll then it'll go to a. Usually in that case, like especially at a state level, if it actually does hit a um, none of the above wins in the primary, then when they go to their state convention, which will probably happen in like. April or May, maybe June if they do it real late, but usually it's in the like earth, uh, like late spring, uh, April or May. So when they go, 
now they know like now we have to nominate somebody and then the representatives from the counties will the the state party will be like all right here are the alternative options to the to the ones that y'all said no to uh who would you rather have out of this and then the the voting delegates from the counties will uh will pick who the actual candidate is going to be it's there's a lot of uh bullshittery that goes on with it i, I actually um was a voting delegate at the Kentucky state GOP convention in 2004. It's a lot of fun, but there's uh, getting to understand the inner workings of how the political system uh, operates is interesting. We, we definitely have different definitions of fun <laughs> for the, for the people who weren't watching or who aren't watching the video on the ballot was, it was Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Tim Scott, was there anybody else on there? Uh, so that's one of those like Pence and Tim Scott were still on the ballot because they would have registered early enough before they withdrew that like once you've registered, you're on the ballot, uh, even if you're not still running. So like even though they've both withdrawn from the president for their presidential campaigns, they would have registered in Nevada early enough that their names are still on the ballot. I don't know if anybody else like a lot of the others might have done like Trump and uh, especially like DeSantis, like it, who legitimately thought he had a shot. He probably just didn't. He probably took the Trump tactic and didn't even uh, register to be on the ballot at all because it doesn't matter in the in the long term. Yeah, that, that would be my guess. It, it, it's interesting it's it's pretty revealing in my mind uh, about Nikki Haley. Like she is uniquely, she's a uniquely shameless psychopath, even by politician standards, because she's gonna go, like she's just getting absolutely humiliated in every fucking primary and she's gonna stay in. A lot, all these other guys dropped out, I guess to save themselves the humiliation. She apparently is incapable of being of of experiencing humiliation like she just doesn't have that emotion because she's a psychopath well um uh, cory called her nikki sarwark in the chat <laughs> cory said she had a uh like a rally down in south carolina a week or so ago and had like abysmally low turnout like she she's not even popular in her home state so, yeah it's such a weird thing, like where you get instant feedback as to whether or not people like you and you, they keep telling, you, no, we hate you. We want nothing to do with you. And you still keep coming out there and you put on this face that you have, like, you know, you're still smiling, you're still happy. You still have confidence and all this shit. It's a really bizarre, like to be a politician, you have to be a fuck to be like um, a politician in the, in the sense, like the classical sense that we know and love of course you have to be crazy like you have to be a fucking like the biggest narcissist of all time slash psychopath well on a positive note at least her continuing to run this campaign kind of guarantees that she's not gonna be the vice presidential candidate for trump like like trump trump ran a poll on truth social a while ago that said should I choose Nikki Haley as my VP candidate? And it was like 90% said no. Like it, and that, you know, and that's like Trump's base is if they're on true social, 
they're Trump's base. So right. when his base yeah. is like giving him a resounding no, and since that point, he ha- <clears throat> he has taken to criticizing and trolling and and doing all the things like he's gone hard after Nikki Haley in much much harder after Haley than what he had gone after uh, Vivek or DeSantis or any of the others. Um, and so I think this is, I think this is kind of solidified that at the very least, she's not going to be the VP pick, which is a huge win for everybody. Like never Nikki is uh <laughs> never Nikki is the thing for a reason. Like, yeah. Yeah. I know just, again, she's a psychopath or she knows something we don't that, uh, Trump's not going to be on the ballot for whatever reason. And she'll just be the last, um, the last lunatic standing. Magoo over in the, uh, <laughs> the rumble chat. He said a woman incapable of knowing when to drop something. Never. Oh, <laughs> uh, yep. Yep. That's pretty good. <laughs> I, I don't think we should be assuming her gender. Has she confirmed that she is in fact a woman? I believe she has confirmed that she is, in fact, a woman. She's a, she is a native, or not a, a native, a uh, an Indian, a proud Indian woman. As a matter of fact, uh, the dot, not the feather. Yes, yes, dot, not feather. Okay. It, that was really fun. I thought that was one of the funniest things. Whenever that we we because we talked about it, like whenever that interview came out, and she talks about being an being an Indian, and then there were all kinds of people that were like. Pocahontas 2.0 and everything. It's like, no, no, she's talking about the other kind of Indian. (laughs) Like Elizabeth Warren has ruined Indian jokes forever. Like now, now anytime somebody says they're Indian, which I guess, I guess it's Elizabeth Warren's fault because you're supposed to say native American to be, to, to be uh, politically correct. She had another great, great tweet today that I responded to, or I don't know if, I think I just quote tweeted it or whatever. Because she's talking about inflation, oh god! And I don't know if you can find it. I I, I remember because it, it was just this morning. But it was just like there are less Doritos in your bag, there are less Oreos in your package, and um, oh shit, what was the last thing? Less toilet paper on your roll. Less toilet paper on your roll. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, uh, Pocahontas really has her fucking finger on the pulse of of what the white man likes to buy or something. <laughs> Doritos, Oreos, toilet paper. That's America. There you go. <laughs> and haven't haven't Consumer the Democrats staples. been telling us that inflation is under control, that it's not actually a problem? And now all of a sudden, now they've changed their they are they're master manipulators. They have changed the narrative and now they're talking about shrinkflation instead of inflation. Like that they've yeah, and the shrinkflation is only because they really like this because they can solely put it onto the the greedy capitalists, you know, whatever the you know the Doritos. They just want to rip you off because they're greedy. Uh, it, it's a lot more. It's a lot easier to just explain that to the dumbed down electorate that we're going to get into that uh, as well that they can't read or write or do anything, essentially. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so much easier and it's great. It's like classic get, like they went from, uh, inflation is going to be transitory to yeah. Inflation is really coming down. Uh, Jerome Powell was on 60 minutes. I think this past weekend, I don't know if we can, if you want to pull that up or, um, it, it was a very interesting little interview 
if you just uh if you scroll down and just play the the thing i have got a couple timestamps, but the, i like the way that they framed it initially i thought that was very interesting and then he had a couple of really interesting revealing comments about it as well uh but yeah like they they just keep moving these fucking goalposts and they're talking about oh yeah inflation's come down so much over the last year and it's it's almost you know it's it's around three percent it's actually closer to four i think even by their own ridiculous way of measuring it yeah keep going it's like all the way towards the bottom i think because they yeah that one Jerome Powell, the chair of the Federal Reserve, may have just rescued the economy from inflation without throwing millions out of work. When Americans were suffering through the highest inflation in 40 years, Powell's Fed raised interest rates 11 times to cool the economy. Economists expected a recession, but now inflation is tumbling while employment is near a 50-year high. Thursday, we met Powell for a rare interview to talk about interest rates, remaining dangers, and the one question that's on everyone's mind. The story will continue in a moment. Okay, pause it for a second. So I, I just thought, I mean, that I know you're, you can't control your fucking self either because we've outlined just how ridiculous all of those claims are <laughs> over the last couple of months on this podcast. We've gone through some of these, especially the jobs numbers in like excruciating detail, just how much bull, like they are blatantly being dishonest at this point. It's not like, oh, we're just tweaking it a little bit or yeah, maybe we got that wrong. Like they are intentionally trying to deceive you. And then this is the way they set it up. He may have uh, saved the economy without bringing us into recession. And it just reminds me of uh, all of the Greenspan stuff, at, like leading up to 2008, they were calling him the maestro and he, you know, he did the interest rates just perfectly and everything's great. This is the kind of shit they talk about right before the bottom drops out of everything. Well, yeah, it's easy to say he saved us from a recession when they literally changed the definition of a recession <laughs> so that, so that, that too, yes they've changed the definition of a recession it used to be consecutive quarters of negative growth but they've, they've also just changed the way we measured growth and of course if you spend fucking seven trillion dollars and government spending is included in your calculation for growth well yeah it's like you can you can manipulate all of these numbers. And if you're not being honest about the, the rate of inflation, yeah, of course, it's going to look like the economy is growing when it's actually contracting. And everybody's feeling that it's contracting. It's just that your bullshit statistics don't bear it out. You're right. And then the, then they tout the, the high job numbers, the low unemployment, taking not taking anything into account with the fact that a lot of those high job numbers are because people have second, third, fourth jobs. The right. low unemployment is because they stop counting. If you stop looking for like if you're not actively looking for work, then you're not unemployed anymore. You're just like. Right. And they and they they literally like seasonal seasonally adjusted away like two point something million job losses. They're like seasonal adjustment, <laughs> like, two million fucking jobs. Okay, all right. Jesus Christ, man! Best uh, economy ever. And inflation is going down. No, well, actually, inflation is only growing slower than it was before. Yeah, it's still it's going only up. about it's twice. Not- right. It's twice what their stated goal is. And he actually asks him about the go to the. 
go to like the six minute mark on there. I have this flag for some reason. I don't remember which order these clips are in. I just wrote down what times I want you to play it. All right, six minute mark. Here we come. Five million jobs. Powell told us that's because of the odd dynamics of the pandemic. Car sales, for example. It was a semiconductor shortage because uh, so many people were buying goods that, that involves a lot of semiconductors. So while demand for cars was spiking because people didn't want to ride public transportation, for example, and they're moving to the suburbs, while that's happening, you can't get semiconductors, you can't make cars. So there's a shortage. So what happened is inflation just spiked. And, but as, as the semiconductor supply came back, prices, the inflation has moderated a great deal. So it really these unique features of the pandemic did reverse in a way that brought inflation down. Yeah. So yeah, he was asking him like what, you know, what was causing all the inflation and he's like, yeah, we have this very unique dynamic economy and all of these, you know, these unusual situations that were brought about by COVID. And he points to the, the semiconductor thing, which we documented on this podcast. And if you remember uh, last year, the used car sales were just going through the like the the price of used cars was going through the roof because they weren't making any new cars. And it's like yes, that was like one small aspect of this, but that's not like that's the anomaly. I mean, I, if I was interviewing him, I would ask for like one other example, like that, and I don't think he could come up with it. Well, like, also, why are people buying all of these like cars and stuff like that? during the pandemic because you're just dumping money into their pockets, like straight out of the, out of the feds checkbook. Like, so there it, it's all the reason the inflation is going up on that is because it's all money that is, has been artificially inserted into the system. Like it's not, that's not their regular incomes and stuff. That's, that's the money that you are dumping in. Yes. And he, he does at some point acknowledge that they, they did spend a lot of money. I think they only admitted to the COVID spending though, which was like four or five trillion, but they didn't talk about like the two and a half trillion on top of that, that they also spend on just other random shit that the government shouldn't be doing. So yeah, but it has nothing to do with that. It was just like, you know, supply chain issues and, and the semiconductors. And that's the only example that I could possibly think of that was causing, uh, inflation in that sense and the rest of it would be directly related to them yes putting money uh printing money and putting it directly into americans pockets to go out and spend that sort of thing uh push it ahead to 715 that's the next time 715 some things will decline others will go up but we don't expect uh, pull it back a little bit. Maybe in the overall price level. I wonder if there is any reason to believe that people will see the prices of things decline. So the prices of some things will decline. Others will go up. But we don't expect to see a decline in the overall price level. Um, that doesn't tend to happen in economies except in very negative circumstances. If you think about the, the basic necessities, things like you know bread and milk and eggs, prices are substantially higher than they were before the pandemic. And so that's, we think that's a big reason why people are, have been relatively dissatisfied with what is 
otherwise a, a pretty good economy. But those prices <laughs> yeah. will okay. not happen short of something like a recession. These are affected by commodities. So, okay. Um, so there, there's a couple of things there. One is he's not expecting prices to come down anytime soon, especially for consumer staples, bread, eggs, milk, things like that that you need to feed your family. And then he says, you don't see that in economy unless it's like really bad times or something. Like, oh yeah, the, the dystopia that we'd be living in if prices of eggs and milk and food came down a little bit each year what a tragedy that would be if your cost of living went down just a little bit year after year that only happens in really bad situations and then in the next breath he's like yeah you're not going to see prices come down overall it's like some prices will come down some will go up it's like okay hang on let me write that little nugget down but he's like yeah you know people are that's why you know, bread's, bread's more expensive, eggs more expensive, milk's more expensive. That's why people are sort of feeling like this economy isn't very good. Even though it's great. It's actually really great. It's Even though it's actually really great. But if that was the case, like if prices going down only happens in really bad situations, that would make people feel good. I guess people only feel good when the economy's bad. And when the economy is really good and prices keep going up and up and up, even though they're feeling bad, they it's just... They need to readjust their their feelings, I guess. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, wait a minute. So if it's bad when prices go down, and that but that makes people feel good, and it's good when prices go up, but that makes people feel bad. I feel like he has a. <laughs> I feel like the you know the head of the chair or the the chair of the Fed should probably uh, understand basic supply and demand concepts and like how how that that curve works. Like, no, things aren't. Uh, if the prices of all of these things are going up, that's not good. That that's actually a negative thing. That's that means that that means right. that either supply is fucked up, uh, demand is through the roof, or there's some outside there's some outside factor that is artificially driving that price that shouldn't exist. That outside factor being massive government spending and just dumping money into the economy for no fucking reason whatsoever, which then in turn runs all these prices up like it, the, this right. is like and this is like econ 101 type shit at least yeah at least it should be it's almost as if they have to think of the opposite answer to the like the, the correct answer and then just tell you the opposite of it, it it's so ridiculous man and it, in a, a properly functioning economy where you're getting more efficient at making things and you know you have technology advances and you just get better at the overall process of manufacturing something like prices do come down. That would be the natural state of things is for most prices to come down just to, not like drastically down, not like 10% a year or something, but it should gradually get a little cheaper to make things. And of course we just don't see that because at one, their, their stated goal is to make things go up by 2% a year, but well, yeah, that's it, like you've seen the you've seen the graphs and and the the different charts and stuff that show like televisions, computers, uh, like you know big technology type stuff, uh, like the the way that the price has come down on a lot of that stuff. And then you look at, but then you look at the other side of it: food costs, vehicles, 
like stuff that's very highly subsidized and the government has their hands in a lot of it. That stuff is all going up. And then when you look at the stuff that government is directly involved in, like education, uh, housing, stuff like that, that stuff is like on healthcare, a straight up right. Yeah, healthcare, that stuff's on a straight up trajectory. Like the stuff that the stuff that the free market actually um manip- or actually controls, it goes down. The stuff that the government is slightly tied to, it goes um, incrementally up. And then the stuff that the government is like full on invested into, it goes exponentially up. And right. That's exactly right. And and healthcare is a very interesting example as well. It's, it's just so obvious, I think, to people like you and me who understand how the, these things work. But it's just like you, you, know, you get these like fancy MRI machines and things like that. I don't care how much the machine costs. Like it should bring the overall cost of getting health. Like before the MRI, they would have to like cut you open and do like a fucking risky, expensive surgery. And now they just take pictures of you to find out what's wrong. Like all of this technology should be bringing the cost of, of delivering healthcare down. And you just don't see it except in places like uh, LASIK eye surgery, like elective surgeries, things like that. The cost of that's gone way down. I mean, how many chicks are getting their fucking tits done now for like a couple grand, right? All this elective stuff, they're getting better and better and cheaper. And then the stuff that's um, covered by your uh, Obamacare or whatever is going absolutely through the roof. And again, this is not like a coincidence. This is the way it is. This is not a... a a bug in the system. It's a feature of the system. The system's not designed to make things uh, more efficient, cheaper, and better for you. That's that's the free market system. The government system is the opposite of that, and that's why they they always bash the free. Like they get involved in things, they fuck up the market, and then they blame all of the problems on free market capitalism, even though they're clearly the root cause of it. Right. And I mean, we've talked about it before, but like the if you look at the top five donors in like lobbying uh, sectors in Washington, it's it's the pharmaceutical and like medical industry. It's the banks and it's the real estate like the No. So no wonder everything is like out of control. Those are the people who are putting the money into it. So like there there is no incentive to get it under control because that just means the more money they put into politicians' pockets, the more politicians are manipulating the legislature and everything to make sure that money is going back into them. And it's just a never-ending cycle. Like the whole, yes. it needs to be burned down. But that's uh, it does, yeah. But businesses are not in the yeah. yeah. They're not just making these donations to political campaigns because they believe so much in what Nancy Pelosi is saying and what Mike Pence is saying. No, no. They're, they're, they couldn't give a shit about that. They're doing it for their bottom line. Uh, go ahead and um, push it to like 10, a little after 10 minutes, something around there. There's one more clip I think we should listen to. Ways to make supervision more effective and also to, to, to adapt regulation to a more to a modern context in which a bank run can happen so much faster than it could have even 20 years ago. Another economic hangover after the pandemic is a sharp increase in the national debt. 
30 years from now, it is projected to be $144 trillion, or $1 million per household. How do you assess the national debt? We mostly try very hard not to comment on fiscal policy and, and uh, you know, instruct Congress on how to do their job when actually they have oversight over us. But is the national debt a danger to the economy, in your view? In the long run. The U.S. is on an unsustainable fiscal path. The U.S. federal government is on an unsustainable fiscal path. And that just means that the debt is growing faster than the economy. I have the sense this worries you very much. Over the long run, of course it does. You know, we're effectively, we're borrowing from future generations. It's time for us to get back to putting a priority on fiscal sustainability. And, and sooner is better than later. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. In the long run, it's going to be a problem. A, a million dollars per household. <laughs> now, right now, it's manageable. Yeah, right. In 30 years from now, that's uh, it's. Yeah, and I think right before that that section, they were like they were talking about um, what's going to happen in the if there's going to be any problems in the banking sector because of all the um, commercial real estate issues that we've also been talking a lot about. And he's like, yeah, you know, probably some smaller banks are going to be um, getting absorbed. <laughs> like smaller banks are going to go out of business and JP Morgan is going to take them on. And I, and I was just like, I was reading through uh, some stuff on, on the internet today. I saw like four or five headlines about smaller regional banks going out of business. JP Morgan is expanding. They're adding like 5,000 new branches or something across the country. And it's going to be, you know, the, the whole too big to fail thing becoming even too bigger and uh, too more dangerous to fail. It's Yeah, I tried to pull it back to that spot and I'm, I missed by about 20 seconds. But for those who are like paying attention um, and one of us can can drop the link to the to this uh, zero hitch article. Um, it's it's at about the nine. It's about the 920 mark is where. uh they start talking about that. Like I, said, I tried to, I tried to drop it in there, and I missed by about twenty seconds. I'm, so I, we just caught the tail end of what uh, Powell was saying about that. But yeah, it, it, it's there was a lot of unexpected honesty in that interview. Yeah. Like, um, like yeah, there was the stuff at the at the top of it that was like made us both roll our eyes and, and chuckle. But he he was. Um, he was a lot more honest than what you would have expected him to be. Um, but also like the, the average 60 minutes watcher has no fucking clue what he's talking about. Like they don't understand how bad that really right. is. When, yeah. When like the implications of what, like, because he doesn't really like, he makes the admission, but it's almost like, oh uh, yeah, you know, like it's going to be a problem. Yeah. But like we, we, you know, he, he says it in a way where it's like, it just gives you this like air of confidence so that they have it under control. And that they'll be able to deal with it and it's not that it's going to be that big of a deal or something like that and then yeah like one of the headlines on on zero hedge i think it was today uh yeah uh jp morgan chase plants massive branch network expansion while small banks implode <laughs> and then there was uh the new york uh new york city nycb i think their their shares were crashing this morning they're having like a, a run on that bank yeah uh I guess you know the big the big banks they all get their bailouts. Uh, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs—they're they're all going to be fine. 
But if you got one of these small regional banks that has a lot of exposure to the commercial real estate uh, debacle, um, yeah, no bailout for you. <laughs> You'll just get absorbed. All right. But it is a, yeah, it was an interesting, it was about a 15 minute interview. It wasn't too long. So if, yeah, if you guys want to go listen to the whole thing um, and you're better at reading between the lines than your average um, 60 minute watching, watching Lemming, um, yeah, there's there's some nuggets in there that I thought were pretty interesting. All right. What else do you want to look at today? Um, since we're talking about, we did talk about with with that the uh, the consequences of COVID and and what have you. Um, well, you want to talk about the want to talk yeah. about the vaccines and the uh, yeah. The we might as well. You know, we got it. We can't do news in a vacuum here, so we'll keep following up on these major issues that we've been documenting. Let's start with this one, uh, and then we'll get into the other. <laughs> Whistleblowers have reported up to 40% placebo rate. Early on during the rollout, they weren't sure how people's bodies would respond to the mRNA technology. They needed that placebo base of people to tell their friends that I got the vaccine and I feel fine. With everything we know now, the millions injured or dead, imagine how much more tragic the vaccine rollout would have been with a 0% placebo rate. <laughs> this, yeah. this was one of those things that when they were doing some of the testing, um, some of the like controlled tests with really, really small sample sizes, like, like they were doing very small control samples on some of the testing. And they wouldn't give anybody a placebo. Like they just give everybody the vaccine. So that so that you didn't see the difference between uh, the ones who got it and the ones who didn't. But now we're finding out in the mass rollout of the vaccines, they weren't all getting like they weren't giving everybody the actual vaccine. It was about a 40 percent placebo rate. Right. right. Which is almost like, <laughs> yeah, it's almost as if the massive rollout was the actual testing of the vaccine <laughs> like this is the way they should have actually tested it with like 40 percent placebo and then the rest get it and then you kind of analyze the data but like you said they would either do no placebo at all in some of these groups or you know i remember that one study was like only like 15 people in each group or something like that and one person one person died in the in the placebo group and one and or two people died in that group and only one person died in the vaccinated group and that's where they got the 95 percent effective or whatever and then they just abandoned the placebo group because they were they just thought it was so irresponsible to um to not be giving people the vaccine and the people that were that were participating in those tests also had um comorbidities and other problems as well so like uh like some of them were high risk to die from covid anyway so like whether you got the placebo or the vaccine it may not have mattered like it was the way they were doing those because because the tests are supposed to be conducted on uh you know relatively similar like you you want a, a good you want a good kind of even field where you get a feel for what it is. And yeah. like, they weren't doing any of that. They, it was just like, all right, yeah. who's dumb enough to be a fucking Guinea pig. But like, yeah. Uh, if you're, if you're being uh, honest, you want to try to compare apples as much to apples as you can so that you get honest data. And that, 
the the rationale for the placebo rolling out 40% placebo makes like perfect sense to me. Because if you don't, if you bullshitted your way through these fucking trials and you don't know exactly what's going to happen when you start injecting hundreds of millions of people with this, yeah, you do want, you know, you want a couple hundred million to be like, yep, everything was good. I don't know what your problem was. It was fine for me. Everybody, you hesitant? I took it. It was no big deal. It was perfectly fine. Well, then that makes you wonder, like, how many of the, uh, how many of the people that have touted how they, they got, they got their vaccines and then they never got COVID and they, you know, feel fine and blah blah blah. And, they yeah, actually get the, and then, by the way, like, what if you're one of these like vaccine advocate, like one of these people that are obsessed with it? Wouldn't you be pissed if you were given a placebo? Like this was life and death. This is a life and death situation. This is to save the world. Here, you're going to give 40% people just bullshit and not tell them that should, I don't know if that should be legal. Well, I guarantee you out of that 40%, like everybody in the federal government got the placebo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But so um, with all that in mind, pull up the next study that just came out. This peer-reviewed study. And say, so now that we do have all the data and we can compare apples to apples, uh, the mRNA COVID-19 vaccine costs more deaths than saved per a peer-reviewed article. With a considerably lower efficacy rate, mRNA COVID-19 vaccines cause more death than save lives, according to a new study whose researchers called for a global moratorium on the shots and immediate removal from the childhood immunization schedule. Yeah, I almost forgot that they like put this in like if you want to go to school, now you have to start getting these jabs and in, in a lot of places. That's absolutely ridiculous. <clears throat> For every so, life saved, there were nearly 14 times more deaths caused by the mRNA injections. Yeah, they do a pretty good I didn't actually uh look at the study in detail. I thought they did a pretty good job of kind of explaining in this article what like how they came about. If you scroll down probably to the low efficacy rate um, where it says there were like, uh, there were 1,594 such cases, like right around there. Oh, uh, Pfizer claim was based on the fact that eight out of 22,000 vaccine recipients contracted COVID. Can you read that? Yeah, um, very low efficacy rate. Following the first trials, of Pfizer and Moderna, it was claimed that the mRNA COVID-19 vaccine had a 95% reduction of symptomatic COVID-19. The study pointed out that this efficacy assumption was false. Pfizer's claim was based on the fact that only 8 out of 22,000 vaccine recipients contracted COVID-19 during the trial, compared to 162 out of 22,000 people in the placebo group. In total, 170 confirmed COVID-19 cases were reported in both groups. However, the researchers pointed out that a large number of infections fell under the suspected COVID-19 category, which was ignored. A total of 3,410 such suspected cases were identified in the trial, which is 20 times the 170 confirmed cases. There were, there were 1,594 such cases in the vaccinated group and 1,816 in the placebo. When factoring in both confirmed and suspected cases, vaccine efficacy against developing symptoms drops to 19%. Okay. <laughs> a lot closer to zero than it is to this <laughs> 200. Uh, the one thing I want to know is what, why they have suspected 
COVID-19? Can't, like, can't they just test for it? Well, they, they uh, <laughs> I guess that's kind of, so the tests as we now know, aren't accurate. And right. we knew that all along and they knew that all along, but they didn't want to admit it, even though they knew it. So they, you, it's the cherry picking of data that the pharmaceutical industry is really good at. Um, like they, they take, so they take all of the data and they say, okay, this is what we've got. Now we're going to throw all of this out because it doesn't yeah. fit the criteria that we're looking well, for. And we're only going to count this stuff. So like yeah. suspected cases get thrown out. Even pull, though, that, pull it back up and, and read some more because it does talk about that. And then it gets into the math about how they calculated that for every one person saved, 14 people died. <clears throat> okay. Um, researchers criticized the Pfizer and Moderna trial experts for exclusive focus on relative risk or RR measure while omitting ab absolute risk reduction. They argued that absolute risk reduction gives a better indication of a drug's clinical utility. So this is how they cherry pick their data. They throw, they, they, they give an exclusive focus to look at a very small piece of it so that they can then extrapolate that out to mean something that it doesn't. So both types of risk estimation are required to avoid reporting bias and to provide a more comprehensive perspective on vaccine efficacy. Omitting the absolute risk statistics leads to overestimation of the clinical benefits of the vaccine. In contrast, with the 95 uh, with the 95 percent efficacy rate, using the RR measure, absolute risk reduction for Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were 0.7 percent and 1.1 percent, respectively. The study stated an absolute risk reduction of approximately 1 percent for the COVID. Uh, 19 mRNA vaccines meant that a substantial number of individuals would need to be injected in order to prevent a single mild to moderate case of COVID-19. Um, go down like to the next, the sec, the second paragraph below there, taking into account these yeah, numbers. Taking into account these numbers as well as the infection rates uh, and inf infection fertility rates, fatality rates. Gosh, I'll get this word right in a minute. <laughs> the infection fatality rates of COVID-19. The researchers concluded that roughly 52,000 people would need to be vaccinated to prevent one COVID-19 related death. This would mean two lives saved for roughly 100,000 injections of the Pfizer vaccine. However, there is a risk of 27 deaths per 100,000 doses of Pfizer shots, the researchers calculated. As such, for every life saved by the jab, almost 14 lives will be lost due to the mRNA vaccine, the study stated. This is like this is like when they were requiring masking for like small children in schools. And if you actually looked at the statistics, the kids were more likely to develop a respiratory infection from their masks than were to actually catch COVID. So you're actually putting these kids at more risk of getting sick because of the masks than what they would ever have been just from COVID alone. Like, yeah. And, and the fucking CDC had that on their website. Like they they listed that as a known possibility that like for every for every one life possibly saved by having these kids wear masks in schools, four were probably going to die for some other reason because of complications caused by wearing the masks. Yeah, like, see, nobody's going to the CDC website. They're just turning on you know, NBC news or something like that, which chooses to ignore that. And somewhere else, like 
we're done with that. Th those are the, the points that I really wanted to highlight from, from that study. But somewhere else in there, when it was talking about the kids getting the vaccine, it was like, yes, they have a near zero chance of having any complications from COVID and like a two point something percent chance of having uh, a severe reaction, severe negative reaction to the vaccine. So it's just like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, come on. These are fucking kids, man. Right. They, they're, they are infinitely better off to be left alone than to be masked and vaccinated. Like, just yeah. let, let, let their little immune systems are kind of designed to protect them from everything. Like when you're little, your your immune system is like ramped up to 11 because you're you know, fresh and new to the world. And for some reason, um, God or Mother Nature or whatever you want to say it call it decided that like kids needed a little extra protection because they're kind of dumb and they try to bounce off the shit and do dumb things. So, uh, you know, their bodies are ready for that sort of thing. Whereas us old folks, yes. right. By I, now you I should know of, a little better. <laughs> yeah. Right. I get out of bed wrong and suddenly I can't, like I pull something to my side and I can't breathe all day. Yeah. Yep. It is. It's hell getting old, but yeah, at a certain age you should know better and you should know how to, how to go through these motions. But, you know, you still feel young, young at heart. It's deceptive. <laughs> Speaking of uh, young people, <laughs> while their bodies might be doing okay, their brains are severely oh, struggling. God. Not a single student can do math at grade level in 53 Illinois schools. For reading, it's 30 schools. Uh, <laughs> how, do you, how much you want to bet all of these schools are like, around the Chicago area or Champaign or like the big city? Yeah. Uh, 90% of them. <laughs> I'm trying to think, uh, let's see. Oh okay. God. There's, of the 30 schools in Illinois where not a single student can read at grad at grade level, 22 of those schools are part of the Chicago public schools. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Not quite 90%, but <laughs> Damn More than half. <laughs> God, dude. I, I think it's uh, it's just a matter of spending. Clearly, we're not spending enough money on the students. I wish I, I wish I had pulled up a graph of spending per student in Illinois schools over the last uh, 50 years. Because like we were saying before, government get involved in the spending goes way up. The quality goes, of course, way, way down. I mean, none of them can read or do math at grade level. Zero. Squad douche. A squad douche in fucking 30, uh, 30 schools. Uh, I guess 30 was reading, right? Um, yeah, 30, actually, 30 reading and I was, I was just about to. Uh, 53 math and 30 reading. So, like, I, I'm just – I'm real quick here kind of skimming – all of the city of Chicago, city of Chicago <laughs> ones, out. and on average, it's upwards of twenty thousand dollars. Like, I mean, this is just me, like ballparking it or running through them. Yeah, it looks like between like seventeen thousand, something like that, to upper twenties. Yeah. Okay. About what? <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. It's could you imagine just imagine that the private sector took over education and this was the result that they were getting. 
And what's the what's the teachers union going to say? Oh, well, you know, we need more money. We just don't have enough money to teach these kids how to read and how to add two plus two. I, they're getting progressively worse. Zero. Number of students who can do math. Like, it's just zeros. None of them. You can't find one fucking kid that can do math at grade level in your school. It's unbelievable, man. It's staggering. And then I think if you scroll down, there's like a little video, like a short man on the street thing where they ask this group of people what 15 times four is. Oh, I, I saw is that on here. It might have been not on. I was like, it's not on here. I did see that video. That was that, that was fucking embarrassing. Like, I, how do you not? Okay. That's one of the like key components of being able to do a lot of jobs. Like, like the, the guys that work for me, it's not a particularly high skill position, but every single one of them can do math, like off the top of their head like that. Like, because we have, we have pallets of that have cases of different, you know, product on it and yeah. there's, and it, they're layered. And so there's 50, either 14, 15, 12, 10, 11, 17, different, different numbers of cases per layer on all the different products. And every single person who works for me, a bunch of like, I love them all to death, but a bunch of dumb rednecks from fucking Kentucky can look at that palette and tell you exactly how many cases are on it. Like without even thinking about it. Like, yeah. I, I I've forgotten it since then, but like I used to know exactly like how many fucking gallons of paint were on this truck. If there were like six or seven pallets or something, I think there were like 75 cases on a pallet. Like, yes, multiplication, division, addition, subtraction. Like you don't have to be, you don't have to have like uh, some special natural gift for mathematics to do that. I'm living proof. I like, I can't do like, like fucking trigonometry and shit. Like it doesn't make any sense to me, but multiplication, like you just memorize your fucking multiplication tables. We used to like once, once or twice a week, we used to do like sit down and do the, the timed Like they give you a, a piece of paper with like 500 problems on it. And you'd see how many you could do in a couple minutes. Multiplicate. Like you just memorize that shit and you can do it. You don't have to be smart. That's just basic fucking, and it costs absolutely nothing for the, the cost of a sheet of paper. I, I can, I can teach these kids how to fucking multiply. It's very, very easy. It's just a matter of fucking doing it, not overcomplicating it with this fucking weird, uh, uh, common core curricula, all this shit. No, just fucking memorize it, memorize it. But they asked like, these were college, they, they were on college camp. Oh, it's the Dartmouth thing. I think it's the uh, was it Dartmouth that was going back to um, standardized testing. That's where the clip was. Oh, there it is. Yes. So, yeah. so this one is. I mean, this is fun too. Uh, gosh. So, so before we move on to this, um, there was one more stat that was very impressive about this article. Uh, if you if you raise your standard from zero kids who can do math or read to just one one out of ten who can do math or read at grade level uh, only or there were 622 schools where only one out of 10 kids can read at grade level, uh, which is 18% of the school of the schools in, in the state. 
And if you look at the math on the same standard, uh, 930 schools where only one out of 10 kids that's can like actually 20, do math at grade level. quarter of the schools, basically. That's almost yeah. 25%. Fucking amazing. Like, <laughs> Jesus they, Christ. Public education is failing children. I mean, and, and like we said, like, when you look at the when you look at it, it's mostly big cities, you know, schools that are that are having the problems. That, that's whenever you hear people tell these horror stories about their kids schools and the schools they go to, it's it's always in some big fucking city. Like we we don't have these we don't have these problems out here in like, you know, the middle of nowhere. Like for for what it's worth, our kids are still getting a half-assed decent education and the uh like there's not a whole lot of woke curriculum there's not a whole lot of uh there's not a whole lot of punishment for bullying the trans kids and the furries and stuff there was a we'll talk about it on friday there's an interesting statistic about like uh gen alpha like the the kids who are currently in high school and and um like the 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 increasingly higher percentages especially of young males who are identifying as conservative and like there's a there's a big pushback in those younger in this younger generation against a lot of the progressivism and, and the woke nonsense but uh, we'll we'll save that for friday we let's uh let's look at the yeah. people who can't do just basic but, fucking math yeah, on just before college. you get to that yeah i mean you were saying that the the public schools were failing these kids and they are but again like we've covered it's it is by design um, and in the rural schools, you know, you used to expect that you would get your kids would get like a certain amount of propaganda and bullshit, especially when it came to history and things like that. But you would at least expect them to learn the basics, reading, writing, arithmetic, like they would do that and and they would propagandize your kid. And now it's just especially in these inner city schools, it's all just propaganda. They're not even teaching them how to fucking do math. It's crazy, but yeah, go ahead, Dartmouth. <laughs> well, the the propaganda isn't even that bad out in the rural schools. Um, my my son, they're doing a, they're learning about World War II, and they were talking about um, some of what went on in Nazi Germany. And so my son took my copy of Mein Kampf and and read it during class. And his teacher was <laughs> yeah, yeah. his teacher was totally cool with it. She, she said, "The your dad's probably on some lists." He was like, "Yeah, we already knew that." Yeah, let's let's watch kids fail at math on just. Yeah. What is fifteen times four? Fifteen times four. Gosh. Twenty three. Oh my god. Twenty three. Forty eight. Forty eight. Forty eight. I say forty so that's, that's two. That's four. These are college-aged kids. These are. Are they at Dartmouth? Uh, Kennesaw just... State. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so the, the article was about how Dartmouth has um, thrown in the towel on not using standardized testing for admissions. Apparently, that didn't work out too well. They got a bunch of fucking idiots admitted. Shocking. In response to the virus pandemic and nationwide Black Lives Matter riots in the summer of 2020, some elite colleges and universities shredded testing requirements for admission. Several years later, the test-optional admission has yet to produce the promising results for racial and class-based equity that many woke academic institutions wait, wait, uh, wished for. The failure to, of test-optimal admission policies has forced Dartmouth Comet Dartmouth College to reinstate standardized test scores for admissions starting next year. 
Yeah, I, I mean, dude, it's part of me thinks this is like some weird 4D chess game that people are playing because you're just setting up these kids for abject failure. Like they can't zero zero of them can read or write or do math or anything like that. And so, oh, well, yeah, you can go to this college. Don't worry about it. you don't have to test into it or anything. Just borrow, you know, borrow 80 grand and go get a fucking, you know, go get, you know, take remedial English courses for fucking, you know, $2,000 a class or whatever. And then uh, you'll owe us 80 grand and you'll have a worthless degree in sociology or something. So the statement from the college, nearly four years later, having studied the role of testing in our admissions process, as well as its value as a predictor of student success at Dartmouth, we are removing the extended pause and reactivating the standardized testing requirement for undergraduate admissions. Effective with the class of 2029, Dartmouth wrote in a press release Monday morning. For Dartmouth, the evidence supporting our reactivation of a required testing policy is clear. Our bottom line is simple. We believe a standardized testing requirement will improve, not detract from, our ability to bring the most promising and diverse students to our campus. Right. Yeah. In other words, we don't want all you fucking dummies. Like we, this, yeah, we are supposed to be in a elite right. college. Like, not all. Yeah, but college in general was supposed to be elite. These were supposed to be like the creme de la creme, and now it's like, oh, college should be for everybody. So yeah, if you have to dumb everything down bunch of kids they can't do 15 times four what was the first answer 23 years like what right where do you how, like, where do you even get 23 like, i don't know man i I've, i have no idea but cry and then they all just settled on 48 which for those of you who aren't very good at math also wrong <laughs> also wrong it's 60 <laughs> it's an hour <laughs> it's one quarter of an hour 15 minutes 15 30 45 60 it's pretty fucking simple and by the way, it's a five, like fives end in five or zero. I learned that in like fourth grade. Well, see, that's, a, that's, I bet you not a single one of them would know what you meant if you said a quarter past six. Oh yeah. They would all think, they would all think you meant 625. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I bet you, I bet you're right. Uh, that's that's one of those interesting, like man on the street type things is to like ask somebody what, if I tell you it's a quarter past six, what time is it? And see yeah. what they say. I... Yeah, they think there's a hundred minutes. And <laughs> yeah, dude, it's fucking crazy, man. It, it's just, it's embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing. That I mean, that was there were four people there. Oh, for four. There's, there's your fucking zero kids can do math at grade level. I don't know what grade level that is, but I remember when I was learning that math, it was like the schoolhouse rock video was teaching you 15 times four. <laughs> oh my god all right but I, i'm just glad that they their vote counts I that's feel, the most important thing this, this because is without I'm them a, voting we'd really be in some trouble so i'm a firm proponent in like having some sort of standardized test to, to that you have to pass before yeah. you're allowed to vote but see Justin, that's racist. <laughs> I'm fine. And no, fine and here's that. the thing. Thinking that that is racist is the racist part. Because you're the implication being uh, people that aren't, uh, you know, white, straight men can't pass these tests. All right. Talking about the, you, you mentioned the, like, the reverse 40 chess or whatever with the, uh, with, like, the dropping the admission standards just to turn around and, and put them back in and, like, 
was this all to kind of prove a point? Like I've, I've made a similar point with um, like all of these movies that are directed by women starring women, like the, the abject failure that those have been, you see all of these companies that put a, a woman CFO, a woman CEO in place, uh, president of marketing or whatever. And then within a year, they're like failing miserably. Uh, the patriarchy always wins. Who, <laughs> who's putting those women in those spots? Like, you know, <laughs> like yeah. we put them in. We're like, hey, look, we gave you your shot. And you fucked it up. Sorry. Maybe it's time for y'all to go back to the kitchen. I don't know. Yeah. Well, except there, there's one exception to this, and I think it's uh, police work, particularly uh, SWAT teams. If I was ever uh, like held hostage or something, like let's say the fucking Hamas gets a hold of me, send in the all female SWAT team, please. <sighs> Ramos. <laughs> oh God! So for those of you that don't have the video, five ladies uh, teams involved. This- this is a Chilean. I don't know what's going. Is this just this in Chile, or this is just Team Chile? Belarus, Thailand, so, Chile. Okay, yeah. There's, so there's a bunch of different countries, and this is. Oh! Oh! oh. <laughs> this is the Ch- all women's Chilean SWAT team, and they're trying to zip line across a pool, and it looks to be I don't know what. Is that 30 feet? Uh, yeah, Maybe I think, not I, even yeah, I think it's like 10, 10, 15 yards, something like that. It's not, yeah. Yeah, okay, about 30 feet. Um, and they're just, they're piled up in cartoonish fashion. The, the one runs out of fucking gas, and then the others bump into her like it's a fucking, I, I don't even know, like some cartoon. And then they just get stuck there for almost five. Like they're just hanging there for a couple minutes. They start falling in. They start dropping their fucking weapons in the pool. Like they lose their guns and shit. They have to fish them out. It's a five minute ordeal of them. And then at one point they just start one girl like runs down, grabs the foot of the girl on the zip line and pulls them across. So this is a national SWAT competition where these different countries send like a SWAT team to go compete and represent them. It's 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 kind of like the uh, the the police Olympics sort sort of. It's they they all go and they do these like challenge events and stuff. That this this clip is six minutes of these five women failing miserably to ride a zip line across a pool. Now there's another video that is all of about uh, fifteen seconds of a men's team doing this exact same challenge. <laughs> And I didn't it, see that part. <laughs> hang on, let me pull it. Let me pull this up because this was like impressive. Now, see, for those who who couldn't see the video, like when you when you watch them start, the women are just like barely jogging. I, if that's yeah. as fast as they can run, holy fucking shit! Like they definitely shouldn't be in this position. Like here yeah. is uh here's this team of dudes coming out, right? And, and they're already yeah, they look exponentially faster. And they're up and they're running. They come out the gate at full sprint. The Moldovans. Moldova, not even like this ain't even <laughs> the US squad. 
boom, they hit the zip line see all the over across. And yeah, seamlessly. It seemed like they didn't bump into and each other. They didn't run out of momentum. And it's like, I mean, some of those chicks looked like they had pretty, uh, pretty stacked features on them. So it's like, you got these huge fucking tits bouncing around when you're trying see, to run and different... do zip lines. It's, I, I imagine it makes it a little more difficult. Uh, you shouldn't be on a SWAT team. I don't know what to tell you. Like, yes, that movie SWAT that had that one, uh, that Hispanic chick that was always like the, the the police officer and like everything. She's like that female. You know yeah, what I'm talking about? Yeah. What's her name? She was in all of the, uh, she's in all the Fast and Furious movies. And yeah, she always yeah. plays like the badass. Yeah. Cop she chick. played a cop and lost. It was just like, yeah, she's like, she's the one. And then they, these chicks see it and like, oh yeah, I can do that too. It's like, you know, that's fucking Hollywood horse shit. Okay. Like I would take on that entire team of SWAT, like by myself. Like I don't even need a fucking web. All I had to do was like hop a fence, and they're done. <laughs> and as soon as they try to hop, like it would just be comical. Them trying to be like take like five like beautiful women with huge tits and fat asses trying to take me down. <laughs> like I'm you gonna manhandle you. Don't don't lie, Johnny. <laughs> I, well, I wonder if I wonder if Chile didn't send them to the competition because the all of the real SWAT agents are actually busy like taking down cartel members and stuff like that and like right. policing the country. It's like, yeah, send them. Maybe there will be a swimsuit competition or something. Like we can we can get honorable mention or whatever. Get a this what? Yeah, what, this, I, I this personality. What is it? Miscongeniality. That's what it is. Yeah, miscongeniality. And I, I just don't understand this. Imp like real men do not have this impulse to like get involved in things that are are like strictly historically for women. Like, I don't have any desire to go into like a. I don't know what do women compete like a beauty contest or something like that, or like a cake baking thing. Like, no desire to do that. I don't understand this, like why they want to be, why women want to be on a SWAT team. Like you're going to go take on some of like the most like badass criminals with all women. That's, in Chile? That's your plan. Like in, in fucking South America of all places? Like, right. You like, have a death wish? These are fucking scary dudes. It's, man. Anyway, if you get a chance to watch that full video and you're looking for a, a little chuckle. Somebody needs to do like a voiceover for it, you know, like uh, <laughs> the announcing. Well, so there is like, there's like six or eight hours worth of footage of this competition, and it's it is pretty impressive. Like it, they they do some pretty badass stuff. Um, to like to watch these, to watch the teams that actually like are good at it to to do it. Like it, it's pretty it's pretty cool. So I, I recommend like finding that clip and. And then finding the the video and it's a uh, it's good shit if you just got some time to kill and want to watch some, some <laughs> interesting competition type stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We got we got time for one more. Oh, I don't know. What do you want to talk? What do you what do you oh, want? The shithole one Chicago. More? Shithole Chicago, please. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean the the school thing was kind of a shithole Chicago segment, but this is also um a good one. Yeah. Uh, Chicago's new mayor is uh, just absolutely crushing it out there. I have children who attend schools who have soccer games, y'all. You know, you all are asking me as if I'm not a parent in this city. I get it. I'm mayor. I get it. But you're asking me to give you a date. And I have to court. Do you understand that you have not had a mayor like me? I get that. 
I have a wife. I have children. They have schedules. And plus, we still have public safety that we have to address. We still have the unhoused that we have to address. I still have a budget that I have to address. And I'm doing all of that with a black wife raising three black children on the west side of the city of Chicago. I am going to the border as soon as possible. So they ask him what his response is to the border crisis and how he's addressing it and when he's going to be doing anything about it. And his answer is, his answer is, I've got a black wife and three black children. We have yeah. schedules and commitments. I, I can't. I got other stuff to do. I can't answer these questions. Can't expect me to be a dad and do the job that I signed up for. Like it's um, dude, this fucking generation of people, man. Like he's he's young, right? He's like twenty eight or something. Yeah, forget he's how not, young he is. He's not very old. Yeah, and it's just like, dude, you don't think we've had a mayor that had a wife and kids before? It's like, here's the world's tiniest violin. I'm playing for you. Uh, you've got a wife and kids, a black wife. I mean, that does sound very difficult. <laughs> that, that definitely adds but, a, a level of. But, I mean, come on, dude. Come on. I, I think I think the question was like, when are you going down to the border? Which I think is a dumb. He's just like, I'm not going. I got problems here in Chicago. Like me going to the fucking Mexico, America, U.S. border is stupid. It's a waste of my time. That's a much better answer. Then, oh, come on. I got like, I got to go to my kids' soccer games. <laughs> like, we have schedules. I can't just, and plus, I got all this other, all these other problems here that I need to deal with that I am uh, directly responsible for. We have to work on the unhoused. <laughs> the unhoused. <laughs> it really is something, man. The, the excuses that pour out of these fucking, these younger generations. You never had a mayor like me. I've got kids, no wife. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure we've had mayors that had kids and wives and they still figured out how to at least, you know, pretend to do the job. Say, I'm I'm pretty sure the last mayor had a wife and kids or at least one kid. Let me see. Yeah, she certainly had a wife. Uh, yes. Ma oh. um, Lori Lightfoot is married with one child. So she, there you go. She also yeah. had a wife and a kid. Yeah. And she's a black woman. So black woman. Right. Boom. She's That's a black tough. woman married to a black woman. Like that, that makes yeah, it double, double barreled. Yeah. Oh man. Right. She's How catching they... up from both ends. <laughs> right. Uh, man, it's just, I just thought that was a class. There you go. There's Chicago. I'm sorry. I just, you know, I got to go to my kid's soccer game. Your problems are going to have to take a backseat to that. <sighs> Did he not have kids when he was running for mayor? <laughs> right. They Did just the wife and kids just fell into his lap, and I was like, "Oh shit, uh, this job's actually kind of work." <laughs> Did he not have kids when he was like running the teachers' union for however long? Like, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I thought it was a, a dumb question, but an even dumber answer. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> it was so easy to just fucking punt that one and be like, "No, we got we got enough problems here. I don't. Me going to the border would be nothing but a fucking worthless, expensive photo op." Right. That, and that that's the correct answer. Yeah. There was no reason for me to go to the border. We have enough going on here. Don't have to talk about how you're you're a, a unique individual because you have a wife and kids. Like yeah. welcome to it's welcome like, to yeah, like, they want credit for doing absolutely nothing. It's like, oh well, like I was trying really hard, but I have all these things. And they think it's unique. He thinks it's he's in a unique position. He a wife and kids. He Holy won. shit. In the history of mankind, no man has ever been able to do his job with a wife and kids. 
he wants to be given credit because he's a black man who's actually there for the kids. That's, that's I would give him credit for that. Yes. If he abandoned them, then he would have all the time in the world to do all of this stuff. But he's, yeah. he's stuck around. That's, I do give him credit for sticking around. I mean, that is pretty rare in the black community. So, yes, that's, that's good. But again, you can't be playing your little fucking violin because you're doing what every father should be doing. <laughs> like, how many kids? Did, Justin has like three times as many kids as he does with two different women. <laughs> right? You got the Brady Bunch family, and he still finds out finds a way to do all kinds of shit. And goats, chickens, dogs, a cat. And... Yeah, and he's only slept through the podcast once in the last couple of years. So. You should have just you'd be like, yo, I got a wife and kids. I'd be like, dude, I totally understand. Man, that should have been that should have been my opening line. Is like, I got I got a wife, I got all these kids, I got all these responsibilities. Like, you can't expect me to just show up and do my job every day. Like, what do you think? Yeah. Oh God, that's gonna be a classic one. I, that, that's the excuse I want going forward for whatever happens. And I'll tell you, like, yep, understood. <laughs> Anytime I fuck anything up, that's like. We had a bad night at work. I'm just be like, I got a wife and kids. Like, I don't know how you expect me to do this yeah. job. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we got to wrap there. We have you a little, little extra time today for being a, a day late with this one because Justin has a wife and kids. So <laughs> um, are you going to be able to accomplish anything um, this week or this weekend? Or you just got to deal with the family? Uh, probably just dealing with the family. Actually, my son has specifically asked me to throw a football around with him this weekend. Nice. So we are going to do that. We've been, uh, we've been working out and he's, he's trying to get in shape doing the diet thing. So he wants to get out and throw a football around. I am, I'm trying to turn him into like an all state tight end. He's, he's six, four, 280 pounds at God 15 it, years dude. old. Like yeah. if we can get him in shape, he would be a fucking beast. Um, so, you know, he asked to throw a football around. I was like, is is this you like hinting at the first steps towards us making you like a the next great tight end? He's like, I just wanted to throw a football around, but okay. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yes, that's, yeah. that's how it starts. Let's do Oh it. man, that's gotta be the best feeling in the world when he came to fucking say like imagine the opposite of that kind like that can like I go put on a fucking dress and some lipstick and like fucking prance around. Same thing, I mean, no either, different. Either as we way. learned from the that interview uh, a couple weeks ago on the podcast, this is the exact same thing. You have no no feeling either way. You're you're <laughs> neutral on that. But dude, yeah, when your when your boy asks you to go throw a fucking ball around, that's got to be the best feeling ever. So either way, you're getting tackled. So let's yeah. do this. Did you, did you ever play my rant to him? I gave him a personal rant on the podcast, fucking to get his ass in shape. I don't remember which episode that was. He I. I am I am very proud of him. He has uh, since the first of the year really, really cracked down on the diet and working out regularly and like trying to get in shape. So he, he even said he wants to start running, which is like I I run at least three times a week, and I've been trying for the last year and a half to get him to just like just run a little bit. Like you don't even have to run, just like walk. Like make a fucking move. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he he's he's been lifting weights. He we we actually um he got a hundred pounds on the bench. He's never benched prior, he's never like lifted weights at all prior to the last two or three weeks. And so he's been doing like 50 pounds with some reps and kind of working up. 
he wanted he wanted to see what he could get up to. So we threw a hundred on there and he got a hundred and he was like, put more. So we we put 120 on it. He couldn't he couldn't get the 120. He got it up off the rack and he got it down and he couldn't Man, quite get it back up. So I had yeah. to I had to help him out on that one. But like that could just be fatigue from doing the the reps right. before though. Yeah. Right. And I mean, we we worked our way up to it. So that, that I told him that too. I was like, you know, you've done you just did a bunch of other stuff before we even got to that. So, you know, there is a little bit of fatigue that, that sets in, but like yeah. now he wants, he wants to start working on building up on that. Like it, it's Hell been, yeah, dude. that's great, man. And that's just my dude, heart a little bit. It should, as it should, I'd be very proud of my boy too. And at that age, you get results so fast too. Like in a couple of months, dude, he could be fucking yoked. And, yeah. Uh, he, he has no idea. Like if he would just, if he would just get out here, and run one mile every other day. Like yeah. he would just drop weight with with lifting, yeah. like what we're doing. Like yeah, he he'll, he'll he see exactly. yeah he'll he'll see like noticeable results in a month, and that's when you'll really start to and he'll be like, holy shit, dude, I, I got this in a month. Like imagine if I just did this, if I keep this up for the rest of the year, I'm gonna be a fucking monster. And uh, that's awesome, dude. That's awesome. I'm happy for him. Proud dad moment. Yeah, for sure. So right. that's, well, my, uh, that's my weekend plans. We're gonna we're gonna play, throw a football around and run and work out and watch the Super Bowl. Yeah, maybe play a play a, a little Rocky scene or something. Has he seen Rocky yet? Oh, oh. shit, dude! Apollo Creed just died. Uh -oh. oh yeah, fuck. Well, we got to talk about the well and uh, who else? There was. Um, Shit, who was the country music singer that that also died the other night? Um Randy Trap? No, um not Randy Travis. Um shit. Uh, I don't know. That's above my pay grade. I don't know. Yeah. Um uh, a lot of people a lot of people have been yeah. dying. Yeah, Paul Creed down for the count. I think it was this past weekend. I don't know, Saturday or something. It's too bad. But yeah, dude, I used to love like I used to watch those fucking Rocky montages of him fucking working out like a maniac, in like Russia and stuff. It was always very, uh, very motivating. So anyway, all right, we got to wrap. I know you got to go in about five minutes and we're way over time. So <laughs> <laughs> all right, we will uh, be back on Friday. Thank you all so very much for listening. And until then, you guys know what to do. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.